Welcome to Gaia's Love, a podcast of brief messages to help humanity bridge the gap to the new earth. My name is Vivian Gerard. It is my delight to be a scribe for consciousness today, sharing the wisdom that flows through from source. Here we go. Episode 331. It is Friday here in Cincinnati. It is gorgeous. We have blue skies, sunshine, still bare trees. We're nowhere near spring yet, but it is so bright and beautiful outside. We are in the middle of a remodeling project here at our house outside our um, back wall is being rebuilt and then our driveway is going to be replaced. So there's a lot of outside noise. <laughs> I was realizing as Star was barking at all the activity outside that the next few podcasts may be a little noisier <laughs> because there's so much going on. But it's an exciting time here at our house to be witnessing transformation and enjoying the fruits of our labor that have brought us to this point. So this morning I listened to last week's podcast because I realized a week is a really long time. A lot happens in a week and I couldn't remember the whole vibration of where I was a week ago. So I listened to the podcast again. I'm like, oh yeah, that was, that was a difficult moment. And then as I finished listening to it, I was working in the kitchen preparing for the new moon circle, which is tonight here at my house. And I was chopping vegetables and listening to the podcast marveling at how clear I was in such a time of being so confused. (laughs) And when that podcast ended, normally it just goes to whatever, I guess, one is before or after it. For some reason it popped up. I don't remember the number now. I think it was 231, 231. It was called Lead Me. And I started listening because it was just playing. And I'm like, wow, the point of that podcast, if you have not listened to it yet... (laughs) Apparently, I'm going to guide you back to some older ones. It's about the song that I love called Ghost by Mercy Me. And I described why these lyrics are so powerful in my journey. And um, and also how music has influenced my awareness and my awakening. It was such a cool reminder. I love when my soul has me say to myself <laughs> exactly what I need to hear. <laughs> it's like you know, my soul giving my hand the bat so I can hit myself on the head. <laughs> Isn't that such a great visual? <laughs> like here, you want to be reminded, <laughs> silly, who won't wake up to whatever you need to look at? Let me give you the bat. <laughs> That's what I feel when my soul points my own work back to me like here's the answer you already told yourself months ago (laughs) yeah lead me was such a beautiful um, guidance or remembering that everything's okay and the path is always windy and we don't not always but many times the path is winding and we don't know what's around the next curve so we just trust and we keep moving into the unknown and um it's all revealed to us in the perfect time. 
So the last two podcasts I just listened to were really powerful. <laughs> so now here we are on Friday. Um, where are we at? The 21st of February. We are at a new moon in Pisces this weekend. Pisces is a powerful sign. I mean, they all are, but Pisces is the last sign in the zodiac. And I believe the one that really bridges um, this conscious reality and then the subconscious dream state the most powerfully i mean aquarius and gemini there's so many that bridge but pisces is at a different level and so the um, opportunity the possibility for really deep powerful ahas to happen is so potent this weekend and I encourage you, this is the point of today's podcast, to find some moments for sweet stillness where you are just in full presence with your own mind and your own soul and your body is fully here and you can allow magic to move through the veil. You can allow wisdom to just dance and play with you and guide you in the most incredible ways this is a really powerful time and if you allow yourself the pause you will not be disappointed there there is love and magic all around (laughs) I know this to be true (laughs) so I am going to share a little moment of magic with you and then I will read to you from this book that resulted from the moment of magic Let me first just say too, last week's podcast was titled Now What? And this week's podcast is titled Sweet Stillness. So clearly there is no action plan in place. (laughs) Now what has been answered with sweet stillness. (laughs) Meaning I am sitting my butt down to meditate and I still don't have clarity on really what the next few steps are going to look like. But I know tonight I'm having an amazing new moon circle. And I know this weekend there is sweet family time, so much beautiful family time. My husband's birthday is on Sunday. Big shout out of love to this man who somehow, somehow agreed to walk this path with me and is so steady and so gracious and generous and just so good. He's such a good man. So let's um, just shower Brad with some big love. My Pisces husband, I picked very, very well. Um, Yeah, and then next week we'll see what that brings. But for today, here's the moment of magic. So last week I mentioned how signs guide us into our next steps. If we're paying attention to those signs and we allow the clarity to feel certain enough that we trust it. So I started watching Santero, which I told you last week. Um, In case I didn't spell it, by the way, I've had a couple of people ask me. It's S-A-N, San, like sand without the D, and then Tarot, T-A-R-O-T. And she has a YouTube channel that has all these beautiful astrological card readings. So she pulls cards but does it based on your sign. And she's really, for what I've experienced, so accurate, powerfully accurate. So I suggest going there, but I've been watching quite a few of her videos and then that also guided me into some other people's videos. (laughs) So I've been following the trail. Well, in this past 
week in between all these videos and things I've been watching, I had a friend reach out to me who is on her fall, not fall, February break from Waldorf school. And she said, do you have time to connect? I'm like, absolutely, would love to. She's super busy as a teacher there and I hardly, we don't get enough time together. So she had purchased my book and she said, you know, I opened your book and when I started to look at it, it reminded me of something that I'd read in a Rudolf Steiner book. And Rudolf Steiner is the founder, the uh, energy builder, creator of the Waldorf philosophy. From what I understand, I have not studied him in great depth yet, but <laughs> I do know that he is a very powerful guide for the Waldorf uh, energy or movement of education. So we agreed to have lunch or breakfast, and I asked her if she would bring the book that she remembered. So she brought the book, and while we were sitting at breakfast just catching up, she started to describe the parallels that she had found or remembered in what I had written in Just White Light and what she had read in Rudolf Steiner's work. So as she's talking, I'm like, man, this guy, I've heard of this guy before and she's mentioned him and I've always liked the things that I've heard about him, but man, he's really, he's totally in alignment <laughs> with what I believe, what I, you know, channel or translate in my understanding of energy. And so she gave me the book and I said, I'll, thank you, I'll look at it, I'll get my own copy. Because I like to write in my books. <laughs> in between breakfast with her, getting a haircut, and heading home that afternoon, all I could think about was how I needed to go to the bookstore and buy a copy of this book because I could already tell I wanted to write all over it and I didn't want to write in her copy. So I tried to find it before I went home. I couldn't find a copy. Get home, look on Amazon. It's going to be days before I can get it. And I couldn't wait, so I texted her, I'm like, I need your copy, I'm so sorry, but I have to start reading this book, and I know I'm going to just tear it apart with ink. <laughs> so she said, please, like, it's your book, just dive in. So I started reading Rudolf Steiner's book called How to Know Higher Worlds. It's like last, two years, was that last year? Last year, remember when I started reading Bardo of Becoming, and I shared it here in the podcast, I'm like, oh my God, this book, this book. <laughs> so good <laughs> okay I'm feeling that way about this book times a hundred it's so good <laughs> how to know higher worlds Rudolf Steiner it's so good <laughs> and also he's really uh, very old school writing this he's a philosopher an educator uh, a great mystic who lived back in the early 1900s and he wrote in Germany. <laughs> so he had like a lot of heavy uh, German texts that were translated into English to be used around the world. Anyway, this book was written in 1909 and then he has a follow-up that was written a few years later and then another one that he edited and it was uh, shared right around the time of the war. He actually, let me just quickly read you this one little part in the introduction, let's see, Berlin 1909, and then the next revision was September 7th, 1914, and then the eighth edition, he wrote in May 1918, is that when he talks about it? Oh no, I'm sorry, the one that he wrote in Berlin, September 7th, 1914, he said at the end, the new edition of this book was printed and ready for sale when the great war now being experienced by humanity broke out. 
Writing this preface, my soul is deeply stirred by this fateful event. Oh, can you imagine like submitting an energy, a book of this consciousness out at a time where the entire world was at war? Every country engaged in the war. I can't imagine what he must have been feeling at that time. So I know I'm digressing here, but oh, like that's such a powerful energy to tune into. So I start reading this book and I'm underlining almost every, <laughs> every paragraph, every page, but it's so fun. It's so exciting to read his words and know that these were, these were his exact words over a hundred years ago. And he is so tuned into exactly what is happening now. It's the same. We're, we as a humanity are dealing with the same issues multiplied by how many more billions. I forgot I was going to look up before the podcast how many people were alive on this planet in 1909. I have no idea, so I won't even guess. But I'm pretty sure it was nowhere near 7 billion or 8 billion or whatever number we're up to now. So if you imagine how clear he was with his message at that time and how painstakingly precise he was to write it probably with a pen with ink on a piece of paper I mean the the amount of focus and effort that it took for him to share these ideas compared to here 120 years later 110 years later where I can read it to you into a phone record it put it up on platforms that take it out across the world and his words can be broadcast to everyone immediately immediately like to billions more people than when he first wrote it the magnitude of humanity's evolution and yet the exact same problems (laughs) we're still dealing with that we were at the beginning of that evolution it's so fascinating to me. It's so uh, frustrating. (laughs) It's so frustrating that we haven't resolved this mind thing that we do. (laughs) But also, it's just extraordinary. It's such an extraordinary experience to be alive in this planet, in this energy field, and tune into something that was written so long ago that names the exact same thing (laughs) that we're dealing with now. (sighs) All right, I don't know if I'm translating my energy very clearly because there's just so much moving, but we'll keep stumbling our way through it. Okay, so I'm going to read to you a few pages from his book, and I just encourage you to to hear it knowing it was written so long ago and yet to relate it to how we are experiencing life now at this time on our planet he is describing the parts I'm going to read. He's describing how uh, people are guided into the path of being a student of the spirit. So those who are seekers, those who are curious about what's the point? Why are we all here? What's going on in this planet? Why are we in human bodies? Is there anything beyond this human 3D world that we see before we die? Like, is there more? He describes that journey, he calls it the student of the spirit, and he uses words like um, spiritual science, 
and um, the occult schooling, you know, where you study spirituality, theology, you study these ideas. And so he, he yeah, anyway, <laughs> I'll read it to you. I'll let him speak instead of me trying to translate it for you because you're very wise. You can understand it too. All right, so I'm going to read from How to Know Higher Worlds. Let's see. Okay, so here's where he talks about the, the teacher and the student of the spiritual journey. And he says the teacher is, is guiding the student. And one of the first rules, here's what he says. One of the first rules may now be put into words somewhat as follows. Create moments of inner peace for yourself. And in these moments, learn to distinguish the essential from the inessential. Basically, he's talking about meditation, which is mind-blowing. <laughs> he's talking about meditation all the way back then. And here we are, and we still have not all mastered meditation. Okay, so here's what he says. Here, as I said, it is put into words. But originally, all the rules and teachings of spiritual science were given symbolically in a sign language. Whoever would learn the full meaning and import of these rules must first understand this symbolic language. Such understanding, however, depends upon having taken the first steps in spiritual science. To take these steps, one must observe closely the rules presented here. The way stands open to anyone whose will is sincere. The rule concerning moments of inner peace is simple. Following it is also simple. However, the rule leads to results only when the practice of it is as sincere and rigorous as it is simple. Therefore, it will be plainly stated how this rule is to be followed. <laughs> I love the way he writes. <laughs> as students of the Spirit, we must set aside a brief period of time in daily life in which to focus on things that are quite different from the objects of our daily activity. The kind of activity we engage in must also differ from what occupies the rest of our day. This is not to say, however, that what we do in the minutes we have set aside is unconnected with the content of our daily work. On the contrary, we soon realize that if approached in the right way, such moments give us the full strength for completing our daily tasks. We need not fear that following this rule will actually take time away from our duties. If someone really cannot spare any more time, five minutes a day are sufficient. What matters is how those five minutes are used. In these moments, we should tear ourselves completely out of our everyday life. Our thinking and feeling lives should have a quite different coloring than they usually have. We should allow our joys, sorrows, worries, experiences, and actions to pass before our soul. But our attitude towards these should be one of looking at everything we have experienced from a higher point of view. Consider in ordinary life how differently we perceive what other people have experienced or done from the way we perceive what we ourselves have experienced or done. This must be so. We are still interwoven with what we experience or do, but we are only onlookers of other people's experiences or acts. In the time we have set aside for ourselves, then, we must strive to view and judge our own experiences and actions as though they belonged to another person. For example, imagine you have had a serious misfortune. You naturally regard your own misfortune differently than you would that of another person. 
This attitude is quite justified. It is simply human nature. Indeed, it comes into play not only in exceptional circumstances, but also in the events of everyday life. As students of higher knowledge, we must find the strength to view ourselves as we would view strangers. We must face ourselves with the inner tranquility of a judge. If we achieve this, our own experiences will reveal themselves in a new light. As long as we are still woven into our experiences and stand within them, we will remain as attached to the non-essential as to the essential. But once we have attained the inner peace of the overview, the non-essential separates itself from the essential. I'm going to read that line again. That is like so well put. <laughs> but once we have attained the inner peace of the overview, the non-essential separates itself from the essential. Sorrow and joy, every thought, every decision will look different when we stand over against ourselves in this way. It is as though we spent the whole day somewhere and saw everything, small and large, at close range, and then in the evening, climbed a neighboring hill and enjoyed an overview of the whole place at once. Then, the various parts of the town and their relationships to each other would appear very different from when we stood among them. Isn't that a great illustration? Like, if you think about when you're walking through the village and you're seeing all the different things and you're up close and personal with everything, you don't see how it all fits together. But if you climb a hill and you look down at the village, like, you get it. You just totally get it. To have that, this is my own notes here, but to have that image of how we can see our thoughts, like, so cool. So cool. He continues, of course, one cannot succeed in achieving such a transcendent perspective towards whatever experience destiny daily brings us, nor is it necessary to do so. However, as students of the spiritual life, we must strive to develop this attitude towards events that occurred in the past. The value of such inner peace-filled self-contemplation depends less upon what one contemplates and more upon finding the inner strength that such inner calm develops. For all human beings, in addition to what we may call the ordinary everyday self, also bear within themselves a higher self or higher human being. This higher human being remains concealed until it is awakened. And it can be awakened only as each of us individually awakens it within ourselves. Until then, the higher faculties that are latent within each one of us and that lead to supersensible knowledge remain hidden. We must continue to observe this rule seriously and faithfully until we feel the fruits of inner calm and tranquility. For each of us who does this, a day will come when all around will become bright with spirit. Then, to eyes we did not know we had, a whole new world will be revealed. I mean, you guys, <laughs> he's talking my language. I am so in love with Rudolf Steiner's soul. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he continues, and nothing needs to change in our outer lives because we begin to follow this rule. Remember, the rule is to have moments of quiet each day. We carry out our duties as before. In the beginning, too, we endure the same sufferings and experience the same joys. We must not in any way become alienated from life, in quotes, 
On the contrary, we become able to live life more fully the rest of the day, just because we are acquiring a higher life in those moments we set aside. As this higher life makes its influence more and more felt in our ordinary established lives, the calm of our contemplative moments begins to affect our everyday existence. Our whole being becomes more peaceful. We act with greater confidence and certainty in all our undertakings. We do not lose composure in the face of all kinds of events. Slowly as we continue on the path, we increasingly come to guide ourselves, as it were, rather than allowing ourselves to be led by circumstances and outer influences. Before long, we realize that the moments set aside each day are a great source of strength for us. For example, we gradually cease to become angry about the things that used to annoy us and are no longer afraid of many things that used to frighten us. Instead, we acquire a whole new outlook on life. Hitherto, we may have approached what we had to do hesitantly, saying to ourselves, Oh, I don't have the strength to do this as I would like to. Now, however, such thoughts no longer occur to us. We are more likely to say, I shall gather up my strength. <laughs> I love that. I shall gather up my strength and do my task as well as I possibly can. We suppress any thought that could make us tentative because we know that hesitation can lead to a poorer performance or at least can do nothing to improve the execution of what we have to do. Thus, thought after thought, fruitful and beneficial for the affairs of our lives, begins to permeate our interpretation of life. These new thoughts replace the thoughts that previously weakened and hindered us. In the process, we begin to steer a safe and steady course through the ups and downs of life, rather than being tossed about by them. Such inner calm and certainty affect our whole nature. Our inner person grows, and with it, inner faculties that lead to higher knowledge. As we progress in this direction, we become increasingly able to control the effect that impressions from the outer world have upon us. For example, we may hear someone say something to hurt or anger us. Before we began esoteric training, this would have made us feel hurt or anger. Now, however, because we are on the path of inner development, we can take the hurtful or annoying sting out of another's words before it finds its way into our inner being. Another example. Before beginning to follow this path, we may have been quick to lose our patience when we had to wait for something. <laughs> Sound like anybody we know? All of us? But now, having started on the path and become pupils in a school of esoteric study, we imbue ourselves in our contemplative moments so fully with the realization that most impatience is futile, that whenever we feel any impatience, it immediately calls this realization to mind. The impatience that was about to take root thus disappears, and the time we would otherwise have wasted in expressions of impatience can now be filled with some useful observation that we may make while we wait. We should realize the scope and significance of all these changes. The higher self within us evolves continuously. Only such inner calm and certainty as has been described can ensure that its evolution unfolds organically. If we are not masters of our own lives but are ruled by life, then the waves of outer life press in upon our inner self from all sides, and we are like a plant trying to grow in the cleft of a rock. 
Unless it is given more space, the plant will be stunted. Outer forces cannot create the space that our inner being needs to grow. Only the inner calm we create in the soul can do so. Outer circumstances can change only our outer life situation. They can never awaken the spiritual person within. As esoteric students, we ourselves must give birth to a new higher being within us. This higher self then becomes the inner ruler, directing the affairs of the outer person with a sure hand. As long as the outer being has the upper hand and guides us, the inner self remains its slave and cannot unfold its powers. If other people can make me angry, I am not the master of myself, or rather, better stated, I have not yet found the inner ruler. In other words, I must develop the inner faculty of allowing the impressions of the outer world to reach me only in ways that I myself have chosen. Only if I can do this can I become a student of the occult. Only a person striving sincerely for this ability can reach the goal. I love this part. How far we advance in a certain amount of time is unimportant. What matters is only that our seeking be sincere. Many work on themselves for years without noticeable progress, and then suddenly, if they have not despaired but have remained unshakable, they attain the inner victory. It's like, um, a side note from Viv, it's like a, when Buddha dies and then um, his assistant or his support suddenly becomes enlightened. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. Like, you can work on it forever and then one little moment, everything will change. He continues, he says, Of course, in many life situations, great strength is needed to create such moments of inner peace. But the greater the effort required, the more meaningful the achievement accomplished. On the path to knowledge, all depends upon whether we can face ourselves and all our deeds and actions energetically, with inner truthfulness and uncompromising honesty, as though we were strangers to ourselves. Yet, the birth of our own higher self marks only one side of our inner activity. Something else is also needed. When we look upon ourselves as strangers, it is still only ourselves that we are contemplating. We see the experiences and actions connected to us by the particular course of life we have grown through, but we must go beyond that. We must rise to see the purely human level that no longer has anything to do with our own particular situation. We must reach the point of contemplating those things that concern us as human beings, as such, completely independent of the circumstances and conditions of our particular life. As we do this, something comes to life in us that transcends what is personal or individual. Our view is directed towards worlds higher than those our everyday life brings us. We begin to feel, to experience, that we belong to these higher worlds of which our senses and everyday activities can tell us nothing. The center of our being shifts inward. We listen to the voices that speak within us in our moments of serenity. Inwardly, we associate with the spiritual world. Removed from our daily round, we become deaf to its noise. Everything around us grows still. We put aside everything that reminds us of outer impressions. 
quiet inward contemplation and dialogue with the purely spiritual world completely fill our soul. For students of the Spirit, this quiet contemplation must become a necessity of life. At first, we are wholly absorbed in a world of thought. We must develop a living feeling for the silent thinking activity. We must learn to love what streams towards us from the Spirit. Then we shall soon cease to accept this world of thought as less real than the everyday life surrounding us. Instead, we will begin to work with our thoughts as we do with material objects. And then the moment will approach when we begin to realize that what is revealed to us in the silence of inner thinking activity is more real than the physical objects around us. We experience that life speaks in this world of thought. We realize that thoughts are not mere shadow pictures and that hidden beings speak to us through thoughts. Out of the silence, something begins to speak to us. Previously, we could hear speech only with our ears, but now words resound in our souls. An inner speech, an inner word is disclosed to us. The first time we experience this, we feel supremely blessed. Our outer world is suffused with an inner light. A second life begins for us. A divine, bliss-bestowing world streams through us. This life of the soul in thoughts, gradually broadening into life in spiritual beingness, is called in spiritual science, meditation, contemplative reflection. Meditation, in this sense, is the way to supersensible knowledge. Can you believe it? Can you believe he's defining meditation in 1909 in the way that he just did? So good. Okay, just a little bit more. He continues, We should not lose ourselves in feelings in these moments of meditation, nor should our souls be filled with vague sensations. This would only keep us from attaining true spiritual insight. Our thoughts should be clear, sharp, precise. We will find a way of achieving this if we do not stay blindly with the thoughts arising within us. Rather, we should fill ourselves with high thoughts that more advanced and spiritually inspired souls have thought in similar moments. Hence, or no, here, our starting point should be writings that have themselves grown out of meditative reflections. We may find such texts in works of mystical, Gnostic, or spiritual scientific literature. These texts provide the material for our meditations. After all, it is seekers of the Spirit who have themselves set down the thoughts of divine science in such works. Indeed, it is through these messengers that the Spirit has permitted these thoughts to be made known to the world. I'm going to repeat that. Indeed, it is through these messengers that the Spirit has permitted these thoughts to be made known to the world. Practicing such meditation will completely transform us. We begin to form quite new ideas about reality. Things take on a different value for us. Yet such transformation does not make us unworldly. In no way does it estrange us from our daily responsibilities. This path teaches us that the most trivial tasks we have to carry out and the most trivial experiences that come our way are woven together with the great cosmic beings and world events.
Once this interconnection becomes clear to us in our moments of contemplation, we will enter our daily round of activities with new and increased strength, because now we know that all our work and all our suffering are work and suffering for the sake of a great spiritual cosmic interrelationship. Thus, meditation produces not indifference, but strength for life. Consequently, students of higher knowledge walk through life with confidence, holding their heads high regardless of what life may bring them. Before, they did not know why they worked and suffered. Now, they know. <laughs> I'm going to stop there. I could read you the whole book, but I'm not going to because <laughs> I haven't gotten further. I stopped where I've stopped. <laughs> so I will continue. And who knows? Maybe there will be more readings from Rudolf Steiner ahead in this podcast. Ah, blessings. Blessings to the soul that translated energy so powerfully so long ago and the strength and the clarity of the words that resonate so true still today and big blessings to my beautiful friend who brought this book into my hands and is such a wonderful light in this world with me and others Okay, so I am going to switch now to the tasks of finishing food and getting dishes ready, <laughs> putting music together, and all of those tasks that are part of holding space for a circle, which is one of those great cosmic events. <laughs> it's like, I think Buddha says that, right? Peeling potatoes is as important as any great master mystery thing. <laughs> I don't even have the words. <laughs> you know what I mean. Every activity, when it is offered with love and presence and gratitude, is equally important. So I am switching gears and we're going to tune into the beauty of Pisces. I will be making a new moon meditation, but I'm going to do it on Monday. So I will share that um, on my YouTube. No, where will I share that? On my on my website under my store <laughs> trying to come back out of <laughs> the contemplative reflection <laughs> with Rudolf Steiner and translate energy here in this reality what am I doing okay <laughs> hosting a circle tonight we're gonna do a new moon meditation on Monday and then a new moon zen card pull for the creative play with Viv and Alicia space over in patreon so there's all kinds of awesome stuff happening around this new moon that I'll be sharing. For now, I send you this podcast filled with so much love and a deep, deep reverent bow to Rudolf Steiner. Have a beautiful weekend, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this vibration of pure love. I invite you to join me on Sunday mornings for an hour of meditation, visualization, and energy healing, where we realign our mind-body-spirit with Gaia and Source. You can learn more at mysouljourney.com. 
Let's take this message of Gaia's love out into all of our relationships and communities today. So much love from my heart to yours.